welcome back to What Moves You with Jesse. If you have ever found yourself being compulsive around food, your relationships, your self-improvement, hello, <laughs> your thoughts, hello again, <laughs> you know what it feels like to be so focused that you have blinders on to the rest of the world. And after a while, you can feel quite isolated in your search. In today's conversation with my mom, retired marriage and family therapist Cheryl Douglas, we dive into this. And as always, I'm thrilled for you to be here to glean from our insights as we talk about life. Enjoy the show. Hi, Mom. Hi, Jess. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm going along. I'm good and feel more lighthearted. Feel, feel more lighthearted. lighthearted. Yes. Yes. Galen got his uh, his second shot today. And so the darn fool, when I, uh, I told him, I said, you have to be really careful and not stuff your whole life today with things because people aren't feeling very well afterwards the second one and so uh because you know people get fevers sometimes because the immune system is just doing a beautiful response and and your cousin said well it's because garrett you know oh yes physician's assistant said uh because the body has to remember to start to fight and so your immune system's just working for you on the after the second shot. Wow. And some on some of it is on the first shot. So your aunt was feverish and headache and freezing on her first shot. Interesting. So, so yeah. So anyhow, so he gets over there. He gets he gets over in line to get his second shot. And so then he says, uh, I'm here. And I text back, fine. And he texts back, I got the shot. And I am now collapsing. <laughs> was he being dumb? And he's being dumb. <laughs> That's what I was worried about with him. Well, don't, you know, I have 10 things after your shot. You might not feel very well. And so then he had to play it up. And I said, oh, knock it off. I was texting it. Yeah. So he sometimes takes my fears and plays with them, but not in a mean way. Yeah. So anyhow, that's why I call him an old fool. <laughs> I love it. That's so good. It's a daily. So it's great. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I could... I feel like I could launch in any direction from that, but you had yeah. read a really great quote to me from a book that you were reading. And yeah. I thought that would be really great to share with everyone. And then it was kind of a great launching point that you and I could share a little bit more about. Yes. What do you think? Well, this is from a, a gal. Um, it's from a gal that I think I bought the book. It's 1999. 
and she really had it about weight. She she had some beautiful books on uh, on on weight control, but it wasn't anything about the weight. It was about compulsion. And one of the things that that really uh, uh, it was such a great thing when we're intimate with someone else we lose control and that's emotional intimacy so if it's family husband family friends that we're open to each other uh, some we lose control we become vulnerable to loss pain and death and so The whole, uh, we were discussing a little bit before that the, it's such an open love. It's such a depth of love. It just feels extremely vulnerable to me, extremely vulnerable. So you can take it from there if you want to, if you have more to. Yes. So, um, Say the name of the book and the author one more time. I don't know if you said it. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, The author is Janine Roth. Uh And uh, the name of the book, which I don't have in front of my face, is When Food is Love, I think. Okay. When Food is Love. But what I like she does, what I like what she talks about is, um, is compulsions. What do we... Uh, and compulsions underneath is despair. And so, and it's isolation when you're compulsive about something. So, and you, and you really can see that if your compulsion, if your compulsion is about like when Galen goes up and down his weight, or I go up and down in my weight, but mostly it's my own, my own stuff, but I'm compulsive to figure it out. And I get really compulsive about, and because it's fearful, the idea of losing him. I mean, we're 75 and 76. So you really have to keep your health in order. Yeah. So, um, as best you can. So that's the thing that really rang true to me is that you can't control somebody else. And underneath this compulsion is despair. I'd rather understand about despair, the fear. And then when you and I talked, I'd like to ask you to respond to what I was sharing about you said, go ahead. Yeah. Well, immediately what I was, what I remembered was a great quote from Glennon Doyle that I had heard, um, heard, I think when she was speaking or something, um, and Glennon Doyle is an activist author, um, Mm. but speaker too, but something she had said that, that immediately was the picture that came to my head when you, when you said that is how so often we close our hearts down um, and we become compulsive about other things in our lives to distract us because 
there's this knowing inside of us that if we begin to live our life more open, fully open hearted, which truly means really vulnerable. Yes. You know, I kind of picture a sea anemone. Remember those sea anemones that we would see in Bodega Bay? Yeah. And they're all on the rocks and yes. you can, you can yes. walk yes. up to them Beautiful and they're color. either. Yeah. Yes. And they're wide open with all of their little sticky hands taking in all the nutrients from the ocean. Yes. And you can go and you can tickle their little tentacles and they mm-hmm. close right up. Right. For safety. You know, for safety. Yeah. So that's just like us. When we are in that wide open, vulnerable place, we know on a, on a deep level that inevitably we will experience pain and suffering. Yes. Because living wide open hearted, it's inevitable in life because that's life. Mm-hmm. Whether yeah. that's that you are fully open hearted and vulnerable in a relationship, even yes. if you're lucky enough to live with that person for many, many years, at some point you will experience pain of fear of losing the person or, you know, whatever else, you know, fear of them wanting to move on from you or I don't know any, all the pictures we make in our head. Right. But the thing that occurred to me with what Glennon Doyle was talking about is she had mentioned. So there's two options. We can absolutely choose to stay compulsive about things, our food, our careers, um, drinking, d- yeah, drink. drinking, drugs, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Just staying focused on something else. Right. To avoid that full open hearted feeling. You can choose that. Absolutely. And it might look like it's the safe choice because you keep, you get to keep, you know, like the sea and enemy close back up, keep all of right. your tentacles inside and it right. looks like that's keeping you safe. Um, but that also leads to suffering. It's just a different type of suffering. Yes. And it leads to, you know, because that kind of suffering is you're very alone in it. It's Even so if you're alone. in a, yeah, so isolating. Oh, isolating. Even if you are in a really long relationship, you know, it right. doesn't matter. Right. Um, it's so isolating. It's so, um, frankly, the word that comes to me is boring because you end up just spinning around your own stuff all the time. There's no variety of life, you, you know? It's a, exactly. And that is, um, like we talked a little bit about, even compulsive to grow, even compulsive to look at your what you'd like to fix. Yes. Also the same thing is isolating. It is, exactly. Uh-huh. And that leads me to another quote that I'll be sure to say. But to wrap up this idea about Glennon Doyle, you know, she said, I mean, I'm expanding on the idea a lot. But in simple form, she said, you know, we have two choices. We have the suffering that comes with being completely alone and isolated inside of ourselves and all the things we think we know about life. And so we'll just keep ourselves safe and not be vulnerable at all. Or you live your life wide open hearted 
as much as possible. Right. And be vulnerable. And yes, you will inevitably experience pain and suffering and loss in its own way. But at that point, you know, like she says something like, you know, you get to hold up your, you get to hold up your ticket in the air and say, this was the, this was the price that I paid for loving so deeply. Deeply. Exactly. So it comes down to two choices. How do you want to live? Would you like to live in suffering that is completely just all about you and what's going on with you and being isolated in that world your whole life or living with your heart wide open and, and out loud and having a really rich experience of life, which includes grief and loss and pain, but it's the, it's the price you pay for loving so deeply. Yes. And that the, the interesting thing with me, when I know more, Oh, it's like Oprah Winfrey. When I know more, I do better. Yeah. But what's interesting for me with that is I always felt like when, if you choose to leave, live open-heartedly and very deeply, like you said before, you're living. I mean, it's, it's really, I think, the that's always been my goal, then then you contend with the other. And then you have to work with how do I be content in it and not afraid all the time. I had a thought. Um, but usually when I discover something, I feel more flow. So if you went up to a critical boss or you were out in the world and somebody was nasty, you certainly wouldn't want to be open with them. You manage that. So that's the flow. Then when you're in a safe, open-hearted environment, then you then you can open yourself up again. So you're in flow. You have more clarity about when it's time to get those tentacles in and do a little covering up. Yeah. And then it's also when you're home, those tentacles can go out and and because you are being fed by your environment, you're also feeding the environment. Yes. With this kind. So it feels to me choice. That's beautiful. I love that. And, and, and there's so much truth in, in what you said too, about how, when you have that kind of clarity, when you're, when you're choosing option B of living more open-heartedly and living from that deep place of love that exists inside of all of us, love is the energy that flows through us all the time. Um, All the time. Um, But like you said, there's also, um, it, it leads to, it's just really important, I think, to be repeated that when, when you said, when we're in environments where it feels like we need to protect ourselves a little bit more for whatever reason. Right. You can, it's like you can read the room better. Oh, yeah. So you can oh, be more, oh. not about 
cutting yourself off from people, right? Just knowing, oh, that person is having a heck of a day. Yeah. And I, you know, okay, let me pull myself in a little bit here so I can just be in the space and be present. Um, Yeah. I just, there's just so much, there's more flexibility of when to go a little more inside ourselves, when to be more wide open, but that is all part of that flow. Yes, exactly. I'm thinking about this. I'll, I'll, uh, we'll come, we'll kind of bring it, bring it around the bend here to the end with this quote from Elsie Spittle's Nuggets of Wisdom 2 book. But she says this quote, and I thought about this, especially when you said how we can get into another compulsion that we can get into is feeling compulsive about learning more and more and more about ourselves, kind of to be on that constant fixing train. Right. And as much as that looks like a really valiant effort, I think this quote will bring some clarity as to why that isn't necessarily the most helpful either. She says, the desire to learn more can be a deterrent. Desire can add pressure to trying to know more or to self-improve. Desiring change in one's behavior can actually get in the way of succeeding. Desire can be a barrier to the naturalness of change. Desire leads us to believe that we don't have wisdom within us, which naturally promotes change. Exactly. Just, it comes in flow, doesn't it? Shows up when it's right. Yes. When it's time. I mean, what else, where else is there? information floating around the world that can help people where the whole point is to relax more and more and more into appreciating what you know already and where you are in life. And that's all you need to do. Yes. You know, Absolutely. Because like she says, you know, when you've, when you've got a desire for something different, that's you looking out, kind of stepping away, thinking that there's something, you know, a better self, a better version of self, a better version yeah. of your life that needs to be had in order to feel whole. Yes. And that's not true. Of course we can have goals and dreams and, and hopes and all that kind of neat stuff. Cause that's exciting. And that's what pulls us forward. And, but it's, yeah. it's very different to recognize that our desires for change and shift naturally show up the more that we are of, present yeah, and are open to it. Right. That's a beautiful word when we are actually are present. When we're actually present. Let it be said, let it be done. I have no more to say about that. Yeah. 
I feel like there's a last little piece inside of me. I think, I think what's if for people to make a good picture in their head, um, and you kind of said this last week, in fact, where, you know, if you think of it on a really practical level, when you're focused on one thing, when you're so focused and you've got tunnel vision on one thing and you've got blinders on because you can't take in everything else, it's impossible. You can't take in what's happening in the present moment. You can't take in, you know, these beautiful little breadcrumbs that show up for us that help us move forward. When you're so darn focused on something else that's keeping you distracted, it just kind of makes common sense. Oh, well, then maybe I should stop focusing so much on that and see what shows up naturally. And I think that came from, from when I was younger and I was talking to your grandfather. And he was watching me be so stressed out about it. About, um, at that time, there was three. Yes. That was before you showed up. And I was so stressed out about safety for them. And, you know, they were out in the world. And there's some logic about if somebody's on a seven-mile, seven-hour trip or a six-hour trip, or like your sister Shay, five and a half hours to get to Morro Bay. Yeah. That um, uh, I would be worried about the freeway. And then you've all done a beautiful thing for me is is to you always text me when you're home. So Dad said, you know, you you know when you're when you're so focused on that. He said, life isn't like that. He said, you stressed out to yourself so much of something you can't control. And he said, uh, usually things come from a different place that surprises the hell out of you because you're not focused on it. So if you think that you can keep him face safe by by worrying about him and focusing on him, he said, that's not really true. It's not what life's about. So that let me let go of at least tons more of stress about if I was focused, 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 by God, I was going to keep, I mean, how powerful did I think I was? <laughs> so he just had, you know, your grandfather, he just had a, a beautiful way of looking at the bigger picture and opening up, you know, it's a great teacher. Yeah. He's a wonderful teacher. And it was very short discussions, only in the moment. And somehow I'd always, I was so open to his teaching. It had a tremendous amount of effect on me. Yeah. That's so wonderful, Bob. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because when we get into that of feeling, like you said, to kind of go back to the beginning of feeling compulsive about worrying about something or, 
or focusing so much on something that we're concerned about, you know, like our eating habits or, um, you know, our, our love partner or our kids or our careers. When we do that, what's really happening is that we kind of feel like it's, it's a proactive move to be worrying about it. Right. And it, you know, it feels proactive, but when you kind of look at the, when you look at the basics of what that means, you know, that means that you're really kicking yourself up inside. And not only are you missing life as, as you're really worrying about things, you're missing what's going on around you. Right. You're also creating that wall between you right. and your experience of life. And right. It's very isolating. Mm-hmm. It's very isolating. And I don't know about you, but when I am all cloudy in my head because I've been doing all of that proactive worrying and focusing on something, I don't actually handle things that come out of nowhere as well right. as when I'm more as when I'm more clear-headed from being relaxed right. and allowing things to show up and honor them in the moment when, right. you know, cause we always rise to the occasion to, to handle what shows up in the moment. So right. there's really no use in doing all, doing all of that. It not only takes you away from yourself because it takes you into your head and all the pictures you're making takes you out of the present moment. And I think, you know, a good kind of point to end on is, isn't life for living? Exactly. Wouldn't we rather notice the things going on around us and have an appreciation for what we have and and be able to grab a hold of those moments of being wide open and with our hearts wide open and seeing what comes from that place. Exactly. And they, and I always remember what dad said about a week before I passed away. He said, Cheryl, where did it all go? Where did it all go? And so he was at that place that he had some grief. He said, there is an amazing amount of time that your mother and I spent that it was a waste of time. And they were very good companions, but you know, like everybody else who gets mad, he would, they both would get mad at each other. And, uh, And so he said, even one second of that time isn't worth it. So it was an interesting thing. It's a, he was very sharing of his process of dying and knew that he was in it because they read the darn book. So he was really aware of it. So I thought about that. I don't want to have a whole lot of questions about that. Did I live? Did I live in the moment with my heart open? I think that's the most important thing. And what are the th- what, what thoughts and fears and all that get they get in the way. So anyhow, 
Yeah. So the takeaway for today for everyone is you've got two choices. Mm-hmm. Do you want to live completely focused on all of the different things that, that keep a heart or keep a wall around your heart because mm-hmm. it's tricking you into making you think that that's more safe, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's a trick of the mind. It's that's all it is. Right. You know, so do you, would, would you rather that or would you rather at the end of your life, Hold up your prize tickets that show I loved so incredibly deeply myself, my life, the people in my life that I've got these tickets to show you. Yes. You know, all of these, this, all of this pain that I experienced to prove how deeply I loved and how present I was in that, in my experience of life. Right. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. And on that note. Yes. I think we shall say. Shall we see each other next week? Yes. So long. Farewell. Hop we to send goodbye. I love it. Well, I love you tons, Mom. I love you back more than tons <laughs> of tons. Here's to being wide open, seeing enemies. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I'll, I'll always remember that picture. Me too. Yes. Okay. I will. We will talk to you all soon, everyone listening. And, uh, I'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to share with friends and family and give us a rate and review on iTunes so more folks find us in this little corner of the podcast world. And give me a call. The hotline is always open for questions and comments. The number is 818 646 Jess. That's 818 646 J E S S. Sending love in all directions, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>